All right, well, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Psalm 119. We're going to be looking at verses 97 through 112. Uh, Many of you may realize this weekend is a weekend that uh, many look forward to. It's the kickoff of college football season. Um, I appreciate your silence on that. Uh, I'm going to be honest with you. I love it. Not ashamed to say that. Uh, Look forward to it. A lot of people ask me if I played college football when they meet me. I did not. I'm just a fan. Um, But I really do look forward to it. I like watching. Uh, I actually look forward to it with a lot of anticipation, with excitement, with uh, joy as it begins. And there's hope of this new season. And honestly, I would be lying if if I said I didn't love it. Because I do. And I'm not here to, like, transition and say, you know, if you're like that, you're bad. I set you up there. That's not what I'm saying at all. But I do wonder if the way we think about the Scriptures is even close to the way we think about other things. I don't think there's any question or doubt about the way that the psalmist thinks about the Word. A lot of the language that I just used of anticipation and love and joy and excitement about college football is language that he uses about the Word of God, about his statutes, about his law. And I pray that we would be changed by his word so dramatically that we would display that kind of sincere love and joy as it relates to the word of God. And so let's look at it together. Go ahead and stand and follow along, beginning with verse 97. We're going to go through verse 112. Psalm 119, 97. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep your word. I do not turn aside from your rules, for you have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I have sworn an oath and confirmed it to keep your righteous rules. I'm severely afflicted. Give me life, O Lord, according to your word. Accept my free will offerings of praise, O Lord, and teach me your rules. I hold my life in my hands continually, but I do not forget your law. The wicked have laid a snare for me, but I do not stray from your precepts. Your testimonies are my heritage forever, for they are the joy of my heart. I incline my heart to perform your statutes forever to the end. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Your word is truth. And we're grateful that you have gifted it to us. What a blessing. Blessing that we confess we take for granted far too often. 
So help us in this time together, Lord, that we would hold it closely to our hearts. We would listen. Your word says, this is the one on whom I will look, he who is humble and contrite in spirit and who trembles at my word. Help us to be those things, to be humble, to be contrite in spirit, and Lord, to tremble at your word today in Christ's name. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Verse 97, oh, how I love your law. This is so much better understood when it's held with verse 96 just before it. The psalmist writes, I have seen a limit to all perfection, but your commandment is exceedingly broad. I have seen a limit to all perfection. Just think about that phrase, that expression, a limit to perfection. That's not how we think, right? There are things that we refer to as being perfect. When we say that they're perfect, the last thing we're thinking is flawed, right? That there's a limit to it, that there's an end to it. When we think perfection, we think perfect. We think perfection. But the psalmist recognizes that here on this earth, there are things that we say are perfect. We refer to them as perfect. That looks perfect. And yet there's a limit to that. What a glorious expression. I love your law. It's better and broader than all the limited perfections that I have known. I've given my heart to many things. I've given my attention to many things, good things, but they're created things. But your word is your word, and it is limitless. There's nothing wrong with with you having things in your life that you see as good and even as perfect, but with the right understanding, with the right perspective. I have seen a limit to those things, the psalmist is saying, but your commandment is exceedingly broad. Oh, how I love your law. And so what better way could I spend my day than to meditate on what is endless, what is perfect, what is truly perfect? I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Now, what does that word mean? What does it mean to meditate? To meditate on something is to think deeply about it, to focus your mind on it, to ponder, we might say. Often, as we refer to the Scriptures, meditation comes from memorization. We put Scripture in our mind that we might meditate on it. I love your law. It's what I think on. It's what I think deeply on all day long. It's what I focus my mind on all day long, the psalmist is saying. The act of of meditating on God's law was commanded to Israel. Joshua 1.8, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you, you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. That, that practice of meditating, thinking deeply about what we have read, 
what we see in the Scriptures is protective. It guards. It helps. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. Psalm 1, verses 1 and 2, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. That's the psalmist's description of the man who is blessed. So what do we see from both Psalm 1 and Psalm 119? That a love for or delight in God's word fleshes itself out in meditation. It, it's, it's not something that we just come to, open up, read, close, and forget. That we ponder it. We think deeply about it. God, what are you saying? What do you mean here? And what we see in verse 99 that we'll get to is that meditation on God's word brings wisdom. I love your law, the psalmist says. I love it. It is my meditation all the day. It goes on, your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. God's word makes men wise even to salvation. Paul writes to the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning with verse 18. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. The discernment of the discerning I will thwart Where is the one who's wise? Where's the scribe? Where's the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. The psalmist says here, Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies. No matter what the worldly wisdom around you speaks or says, it is the Scriptures and the Scriptures alone that make you wise to salvation. 
that bring you to him. And there is no wisdom that competes or contradicts that. Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. God's law is rooted in the heart. It's not an outside set of laws which force our will, but it internally conforms us into the image of Jesus. His words are powerful. His words are effective. He goes on, I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. Again, meditation, as we see here, results in understanding and wisdom. We do not yet know well enough. No matter where you are, if you're here this morning and and you're just kind of beginning to search the Scriptures and, and to discover what the gospel is and what the Bible teaches, or if you're here this morning and you have been a follower of Jesus for most of your life, for decades, no matter where you are, you and I do not know well enough. Not a single one of us has arrived. We need more understanding. There will not be one moment, not one time in our life where we can say, it is enough. I have reached the end of understanding the Word of God. We need it. We need understanding. We need to grow. We need to meditate on the Word of God. I'm better instructed and have more understanding than all my teachers, he says. Now, he's not, he's not saying that we don't need teachers or we don't need to submit to teachers. He's clearly, he has them. Or that sentence doesn't make sense. But spiritually speaking, meditating on God's word will grow you more and more and more. Heavenly wisdom is much better than earthly wisdom, just as heaven is better than earth. Verse 100, I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. I understand more than the aged or elders, more discerning than those older than I am, he says. He's sounding the alarm that wisdom consists in keeping the precepts, and doing the will of God. That it comes from God's word. Not simply, not simply from age, but from the word. Time meditating on the word of God. I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep your word. I hold back my feet I stay away from the evil path so that I can keep your word. There's responsibility here that he's taking. He's bearing a responsibility. He's taking responsibility. I do this or I don't do this because I want to keep your word. Because I want to please the Lord, because I want to keep His word, I choose to do certain things and I choose not to do other things. This is a decisive way of living. This is 
taking, bearing responsibility for what he does or doesn't do. I hold back. I keep from. I stay away from. Every evil way or every evil path so that or in order to keep your word. He goes on, I do not turn aside from your rules for you have taught me. That's a wonderful two verses to keep together. He takes responsibility, but he gives all of the credit. He submits to a sovereign king. I hold back my feet from every evil way. That's responsibility. And then he says, I do not turn aside from your rules because you have taught me. Because you have worked your word into my heart. Because you have done what you have done in me. You have empowered me by your spirit. The reason I don't turn aside is because of what the Lord has done within me by his spirit. So he's bearing responsibility, saying, I'm choosing certain things and I'm choosing not to do certain things, but I know, Lord, that it's because of you. I know that it's because of what you have done, how you, by your Spirit, have taught me. And then he says, How sweet are your words to my taste. Sweeter than honey to my mouth. David writes elsewhere in Psalm 19, beginning with verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them there is great reward. As you consider those verses in Psalm 19 and this verse here in Psalm 119, how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Are these adjectives that you would use of God's word based on your experience? There are certainly things that you can think of that are irresistible to you. Personally, I want to eat well. I want to be healthy. I want to take care of my body in that way. I also made a cake for my son for his birthday this week. It's chocolate the vanilla buttercream frosting from scratch. It was delicious. And I've gone back to that cake. I should say that in the past tense because it's gone. I went back to that cake 
more than once. A, a few times while the boys were at school, <laughs> just with a fork, no plate, one bite or three or whatever, because it was good. It was a good cake. We know what this verse means. We know what he means. We, we have those things in our life. We, we experience these types of feelings. We use these adjectives, and we experience these adjectives. But are these adjectives adjectives that we use of God's word based on our experience? Do we experience that kind of delight in the Word of God? And I want to stop here for a moment. Because I do want us to consider this. We've been going through Psalm 119 for several weeks now. All of this chapter, all of it, is this. It's, It's a delight in the sufficiency of the Word of God. And maybe as we've gone through this week after week, or maybe this is your first time here and you're hearing this text in the midst of Psalm 119, and maybe you would say that you, you understand what that means, but you aren't experiencing it as it relates to God's Word. And I don't want to ignore that. We ought not to ignore that. And and this really is where faith is applied. Because whether we feel it or not, if we believe that God's Word is true, then the prescription for a lack of desire or affection for God's Word is is a dose of God's Word. What we need if we are lacking affection for God's Word is God's Word because it is a cyclical process. Here's what I mean by that. Romans 10, 17, Paul writes this. Faith comes from hearing and hearing from the Word of Christ. Faith comes from hearing and hearing from the Word of Christ. So if my faith is lacking, I'm not delighting in the Word of God, then what I need is increased faith. And what will increase my faith according to Romans 10, 17? The Word. And so as I receive the Word, then according to Paul in Romans 10, 17, my faith increases. And then what happens when my faith increases? My delight in the Lord and who He is and in His Word increases more. And so I take it in and faith increases more. And on and on and on. And I find myself saying with the psalmist, how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Too often when we get into what we would refer to as a rut or someone would say uh, we're backsliding or something termed like that, we just don't have this desire for the Word. What we tend to do is say we just need a break. Or it'll, it'll come around. 
Or maybe if, if, if just sing the right song or wait for someone to say the right thing or what, that's, that's not what we need most. What we need is his word and a discipline to say, I don't feel it. I don't feel it right now. I could be honest about that. I don't feel it right now, but I know what it says. And what it says is the only thing that's going to increase my delight in the Word of God is the Word of God and His Spirit working in me through it. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Verse 104, through your precepts, I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. Again, we see the contrast of how much better his word is. I get understanding from or by your precepts, by your word, so I hate every false way. I get understanding from your law. I get understanding from your word. Nothing else gives me that. And so I hate what is false. I hate every false way because of what your word does and has done in me. It's it's a reflection of delight in the word of God. He goes on, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Just simply saying this, God God's word directs us. God's word guides us. God's word shines brightly, giving us wisdom and understanding for life and for decisions. You just give an image in your mind of what he's describing here. You think about walking through a dark path, a dark forest, whether there's a path or or not in that forest. What would be most helpful? What would you desire in that? Some kind of light. Holding a lantern or a flashlight. Something to shine in front of you or shine on the path to give you direction and guidance of where to step. He's saying that's what God's Word does for us. Your word is a lamp to my feet. It shines on the path so that I might know where to go or how to live. Peter writes in 2 Peter 1.19, we have the prophetic word. We have the scriptures more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place. It's a lamp to walk by. It's a light to illumine my path, he's saying. It's a picture of God's guidance. He's saying we need it. We we are absolutely desperate for the Word of God. I've sworn an oath, confirmed it to keep your righteous rules solemnly pledges himself to God not to turn from this path well lit by the word. 
His purpose is settled. His heart is fixed. I've sworn an oath and confirmed it to keep your rules. Again, he revisits this affliction in his life. I'm severely afflicted. Give me life according to your word. I'm severely afflicted. Give me life, O Lord, according to your word. And we don't know what the affliction is. He says it was severe, and he prays for life, life according to the word of God. Too often, we want our own definition of what life is. Wouldn't it be better if blank? Wouldn't it be happier if, or wouldn't it be great if? But the psalmist knows that true life comes in accordance with God's word. I'm afflicted severely. What is, what is my prayer, the psalmist says? Give me life according to your word, O Lord. Accept my free will offerings of praise, O Lord, and teach me your rules. Accept my free will offerings of praise. I love, two weeks ago we looked at this text on affliction and how he talks about being afflicted, and it was good that I was afflicted. And in the midst of that, declaring, you are good, and you do good. Here again, speaking in the midst of affliction, saying, accept my free will offering of praise. My willing offering of praise. Is your life characterized by willing offerings of praise? Now, I want to I just note here, it's noticeable how much more, what's the word I want to use, energetic, lively, happy, your worship here is on Sunday mornings. It is noticeable to me. We never want to translate loud with offerings of praise. And that's not what I'm saying. Keep being loud because it's beautiful. But, but this is about willingness of heart. A willing offering of praise from the heart. How is that reflected for you in the body of Christ? How is that displayed for you in your home? How is that displayed in your job or your school? How is it displayed in your neighborhood or in the nations? These are all areas where our offerings of praise should be reflected. Oh, Lord, please accept my free will offerings. That, that's the right perspective. That's the NET version. Oh, Lord, please accept my free will offerings. That's right perspective because we never, ever deserve that. We never have and we never will. We don't deserve to come before a sovereign God and be accepted. We are only accepted because of Jesus, because of what He did, because He is worthy, He is acceptable, and we have been credited, counted righteous because of what He did. 
because of what he accomplished. He came and lived the acceptable life on our behalf. He came and died to pay for all of the reasons we were not acceptable to God. And so the right heart, the right perspective is that. Please, accept my free will offerings. Because it is Christ that makes our praise acceptable. Nothing we have ever done can or will. Verse 109, I hold my life in my hand continually, but I don't forget your law. And speaking of, of danger, that expression, I hold my life in my hand, Judges 12, verse 3 gives us a picture of that. When I saw that you would not save me, I took my life in my hand and crossed over against the Ammonites, and the Lord gave them into my hands. It's, it's a description of danger. I live in danger, but I don't forget your law. Though he's always at risk or in danger of death, it didn't change his purpose. It doesn't change his direction. It doesn't change his heart. Death could not separate him from the love of God. The wicked have laid a snare for me, but I do not stray from your precepts. In this danger that he's living through, whatever it looked like or however it was displayed, he remains faithful to God and his word. And so he says, your testimonies, verse 111, are my heritage forever, for they are the joy of my heart. I claim your rules as my permanent possession because they are the joy of my heart. His great possession was God's word. He held God's word in preference to all else. When God awakens the heart to himself, he awakens it to his word. To say that and to mean that, that your testimonies are the joy of my heart. I love Psalm 16. Verses 1 and 2 say this, Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, You are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. And he finishes the chapter this way in verse 11. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. You consider that. This is the heart of the psalmist. In your presence there's fullness of joy and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Your word is the joy. Your testimonies are the joy of my heart. That there is understanding, that there is life and joy and pleasures in and through the word of God that cannot be found elsewhere. Your testimonies are my heritage forever, for they are the joy of my heart. And I incline my heart to perform your statutes forever to the end. I mentioned earlier this, this picture of both responsibility and giving credit to the sovereign God who reigns over us. We see that again here, right? Earlier in the chapter, he, he asked the Lord, incline my heart to your word. 
And now here, taking responsibility to that end, I incline my heart to perform your statutes forever to the end. With, with God's redemptive, sovereign, awakening work comes real responsibility. We pray that he inclines our heart to his testimonies and we exercise that muscle as he does. I incline my heart to perform your statutes forever to the end. To do what you say. To meditate on your word and to act on your word. I bend my heart in that direction. Oh, that we would have that heart, a heart that, that proclaims joy as we consider his word, sweetness like honey as we consider his word, and a bending of the heart to do whatever he says. We're going to go into a time where we take the Lord's Supper together as we consider the cross and Jesus, the one who makes our praise acceptable, our offering acceptable to God, the one who came and lived a life perfect before God. He never, ever sinned. In all of his days, in his youth, in his adulthood, he never, ever broke God's law. And he was punished. He was crucified. And on the cross, it says his body was broken and his blood poured out. And Jesus calls us to take the bread and the cup as a remembrance of what he accomplished on our behalf. Paul says this, I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. What a joy that we can together, with one voice, through an act of taking bread and drinking from a small cup, say together, we believe. We embrace the truth that Without Christ, we are hopelessly lost. It was his body broken and his blood shed that brings us to God. That's a joyful thing. And so let's set our hearts on that as we prepare. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your grace. You're good and what you do is good. And we need you, Lord. We need your help. We need your direction. We need your word to guide us and in our hearts to awaken us to the joy that is in you, that is you. In your presence, there's fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And we acknowledge even in saying that, at your right hand are pleasures forevermore, that right now at your right hand is Jesus. And that true joy, true pleasure, true hope is found in him alone. We pray that you'd help us in this time as we, as we sing to you, as we take the bread and the cup, that we would truly remember that it is him, his body broken and his blood shed, that allows us 
and grants us access into your presence. We praise you and thank you for your mercy and your grace displayed so perfectly through him. In Christ's name, amen.